You're very kind. Good morning to everyone. Good morning. I'm, I'm delighted to be in the house of the Lord. How about you? I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Just pause, take a deep breath. You are in the house of the Lord. It's amazing, right? (laughs) You hear gathered as the ecclesia. The assembled, the redeemed, the bought, the righteous, the purchase of God, the evidence of His grace. You are trophies that Calvary works. You are proof of this season that we are engaged in, celebrating. It's been unfortunately so um, secularized. But you are living proof that Jesus came, born of a virgin, the righteous of God, the gift of heaven for the sake of redemption. (laughs) To save folk like you and I, to restore peace, to bridge the gap. Let me remind you, you were lost. Come on, come on. Oh, come on. You were bound by sin. It's no really easy way to paint the picture, so let's just be raw about it. You were on your way to a devil's hell. A place prepared for the devil and his angels because of his rejection and rebellion against God. That's where we were all going. And look at us now. Now we can sing when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Amen. We can now sing, there's power in the blood. Yes, there is. Yeah, I'm free, I'm free. Now we do understand the message, true message of Christmas, which is grace and peace. Hallelujah. I, I just bubbling over a little bit this morning, the joy that we were referencing in the song. The recognition of God's goodness to all of us. And just my pure excitement for LaDawn and I to be back with you today on this special day in the life and history and the future of this church. So thank you for letting us be a part. You may be seated. Uh, we've got a lot of things to do as far as um, engaging some of the business of the kingdom. Is that all right if we do that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Praise God. Thank you for your commitment to being here on a uh, wintry day in Kansas. Um, still fighting this whole pandemic challenge, aren't we? <laughs> I like the way Pastor defined it to this year as a year that's literally changed the world. And we fully don't understand the extent of that, but we're living in the fringes of recognizing that Life, never the same. So we stand here as human beings living in a nation that all of us are concerned about. We're fighting against the odds of, as referenced as pandemic, the challenges of a nation that's in confusion, 
chaos. It doesn't make a difference which side of the aisle you're on or what your preferences might be or what you did in the in the front of the ballot box. Our nation's in trouble. We're troubled people. And the root of that is not um, legislation. It's rejection of God. That's the root of it. You know, we've turned our back on God. I read the book of Haggai yesterday. Or Haggai, depending on how you like to pronounce it. Um, such a similar story. Uh, to where we are as a people, as a nation. And um, God is a good parent. Don't forget He's a father. Yes. Yeah. We often neglect the fatherhood of God, and I've got to be quick here because this is not my primary assignment, but I think one of the most neglected attributes of God is His fatherhood. We don't really give much attention to the fatherhood of God. Uh, if you want to spend a little time Engaging that, go to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus gives some insight into the care of the Father. And when Jesus instructed us in prayer, how did he address God? Yeah, he was trying to tell us something, by the way. <laughs> he didn't address him as El Shaddai, El Elyon. Uh, the omnipotent one, the all-powerful one, the all-present one. No, could have went a lot of directions there when he was instructing us how to approach him. But he instructed us to recognize he's my father. Wow, that's incredible. It's incredible, man. So the fatherhood of God is something all of us need fresh and increased revelation on. Because there's a lot of rejection in today's world. And for some, when you use the term father or daddy, it, it, it's, it's not healthy, it's not comforting, it's, it's not that which brings solace or good thoughts because we live in a very fatherless generation. It's one of the greatest crises of our nation is fatherlessness. That's one of the root issues of why we're in some of the, forgive me, I'm a country boy, the mess we're in. Fatherlessness. The role of the father is very significant. And so, back to my original point here, and that is that God's a good father. He awards obedience and he chastises disobedience. That's what a good daddy does. <laughs> whether we like it or not. Yes. So in that book of Haggai, um, God had to correct, strongly correct the people. But at a correction, there was correction made, and then the faithfulness of God restored with great abundance and superlativeness. So I just, I'm praying God to bring correction to our nation. And I believe he's striving to do that. We don't like it. It hurts, don't it? Man, I, I never like, and again, forgive me if this offends your processing of life, but I never liked it when I saw the belt coming. I was raised by a belt. 
I know what it is to go out in the front yard and have to pull a switch off. I do know what that looks like and feels like. I'm very familiar with it. It wasn't the greatest enjoyment at the moment. But I have many times been to both of my parents and told them how much now I appreciate it. The good that that did for me then produces positive results uh, in an ongoing way. So uh, just saying that concerning our nation, because so much we could talk about there. My wife and I, we carry such a heart for this nation. As an intense intercessor, she is constantly pleading to the Father on behalf of condition of our nation. And we as a church, IPHC, we're trying to rally toward that in a more aggressive way, being a part of not the cause, but the cure. Let's be a part of the cure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be a part of the cure. And we know the answer, we know the solution, and that is a return back to God. His willingness to relent of the promised judgment. He will relent if a people will repent. Yeah, yeah. So you need to be aware of that. We're not on some slippery slope that cannot be corrected. That is not the case regardless of what uh, others may think or say. But we've got to make sure we are participating with the plan, the word, the will, the purpose of God. Jeremiah 18, God gives us understanding of how he legislates over the nations. It's a very clear picture. You actually get to step into the throne room of heaven, the courtroom of God. We get to peek view in there and see how it works. It's amazing. It's really amazing. And there we discover that if, if, if a nation, and it not only defines the nation of Israel, but it says the nations of the earth, the United States of America qualifies. And it says that if that people will recognize their waywardness and wickedness and repent, we know the Second Chronicles 7.14 recipe, Right? My people call by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then, 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 the covenant relationship of our responsibility and God's response. When we can match those in harmony with word and truth, man, some things can happen that will blow our minds. So if the people will recognize their wickedness and repent. The scripture says of God, I will relent. I'll relent. I'll step back away from the required judgment because of His extended mercy. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. No way can we require it, not even expect it, but by faith in His mercy. And it goes as far as to say, I can return you back to your original intent. You caught that, didn't you? That's a revelation right there. That's a revelation right there. God returning us back to our original intent. Can we believe God for that? I just completed the book um, by Eric Matakas. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. He's become one of my favorite authors. It's called If You Can Keep It. 
talking about the original purpose of the Constitution and how this nation was birthed by our forefathers and what happened in Liberty Hall when they were wrestling over the Constitution and the sovereign participation to bring that Constitution into existence. We can't even imagine sitting here today. We can't even imagine how much God was involved in that. And it was for a kingdom purpose because God had determined to raise up this nation as a light to the nations of the earth, as a beacon set on a hill. That was the original intent of this nation. Undeniable. Undeniable. (laughs) Yeah. There's a cross driven in the forge of the James River near Richmond, Virginia, one of the original elite areas of traffic and commerce and purpose of this nation. It's a cross driven there in the ground, the soil by original inhabitants. And the covenant they made with God is, we commit this land to be a light to the nations. Well, praise God. So, I'll give you three words. Take them during the week, process them, meditate on them, search scripture with them, pray into them. Would you do that for me? Yeah. Yeah. We've got to repent. God will relent and return to our original intent. Repent, relent, intent. (laughs) That's, that's, uh, That's a package full right there. Well, Merry Christmas. Yeah, this is Christmas season. It's snowing. Yeah, I got proof. That means it's Christmas. Again, it's good to be with you. We have been looking forward to this day. Hallelujah. God is faithful. I said Merry Christmas because I'm, I'm not going to be given permission this morning to preach a Christmas message, even though I'd like to. I'd love to talk about the angels and the shepherds and um, the incarnation and Mary and Joseph and the gifts and the wise men and all that stuff. That's just so rich and fun and good and it's such insight there that oftentimes we overlook and underestimate and devalue. Yeah. Do you know the greatest attack of the enemy is on the incarnation of Jesus Christ? If he can defile the incarnation, he ruins the gospel. Now I'm telling you something, this is like chocolate cake, this is rich right here. The spirit of Antichrist is directly opposed to the incarnation. That's his primary assault. That's backed up in Scripture. Think now, think with me, just calm down, come right here, get your mind, your body together, think. Stop thinking about that snowman you're going to build after, just teasing. One of the greatest attacks, the primary assault against truth of the enemy is the incarnation. If he can defile the fact that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that he is the Son of God... If he can do that, everything else is downhill. That lessens the cross, the Christ, the gospel, the resurrection. Everything else now is is polluted. It's done. 
We have to maintain the validation Jesus is Son of God because in that role, He's the only one capable of taking on the sins of the world and by His blood, all peoples redeemed. So the devil despises that He was born of a virgin. God in flesh. So we've got to hold on to that with a death grip. He will not take that from us. We know that this was a promise as far back as Genesis 3.15 and prophesied throughout the Old Testament and fulfilled when an angel visited a young virgin girl and told her that she would be. Oh my goodness. How is this going to be? This is impossible. Come on now. Let's talk real here. Let's deal with facts. Yeah. No. No. This is of God. And that that you would define as impossible is possible with God. You will carry in your wound, a virgin wound, the promised Messiah. Yeah. Thus the Christ. Thus the message. Thus the crucifixion. That's why we can have hope. That's why there's joy. That's why truth prevails. That's why heaven is real. So to God be the glory. Okay? Amen. Amen. All right. I I have a text. And uh, apologize for not getting it to you earlier. That's my bad. So if you want to initiate the video, let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Several things that we're going to do this morning. And let me just say that it is a joy to sit here and witness and be a part of what we know to be answers to prayer. Uh, several months ago, we started a, a journey, didn't we? Yeah. Met with church leadership. We celebrated the pages and their phenomenal years of ministry here. And we continue to give God praise yeah. for who they are and what they were used by God to accomplish in this house and the good foundation that they laid. And, We promise to you as a congregation that we're going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We're going to let Him be in charge. Well, somebody say amen. At least least one person. Yeah. So, in that commitment, we were resolute in giving God opportunity to lead in this whole process of pastoral pursuit and assignment. And uh, God answers prayer, doesn't He? I could take a long time and and give you some of the details about how this um, played out, but it was just a supernatural working of the Holy Spirit, how He orchestrated paths to be connected and how He began to put light on what His intent was and now how today we're going to have an official marriage. You didn't know you were coming to a wedding today, did you? You'd have dressed better, wouldn't you? Some of you wore a bonnet or your fancy shoes. No, we've got we to have a wedding today. We're going to have a covenant relationship put in place between pastoral ministry and a congregation. 
between shepherd and sheep, between leadership and followership. Because we're believing that out of this marriage, this covenant, there's going to be much fruit. These loins are going to be fruitful for the harvest for the kingdom. Is that okay? Yeah, you know, God's a covenant God. That's how He functions. That's kind of how He operates. That's the relationship we're in with Him today, whether you know it or not. We're here today because of covenant, Amen. a blood covenant. Amen. Jesus said uh, in the upper room, I'm, I'm, I'm instituting a new covenant. No longer what it was in days gone by. You don't have to, you don't have to kill bulls and goats and, and lambs and pigeons and turtle doves. That that's, was for that time. This now is a new covenant. Now the blood is the blood I'm going to shed here in just a little while. You don't fully understand it at this point. The day will come you get the revelation on it. So we now are here because of covenant. God really likes covenant. Covenant is a holy union between two agreed upon parties. And its fulfillment is based upon the faithfulness of each party. I got a little insight for you. God's going to be faithful to his. How about that? Oh, yeah. Now he's just hold, holding us to our part of, if you will, the bargain. So Matthew chapter 16, I want to read what would probably be Defined as obvious scripture for today. But uh, let's go to verse 13 and start there as we engage the scripture. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, I'm reading Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Is that a good question? Yeah. You ever really stop, pause, and ask yourself that question? self Interrogation, who do I say Christ is? And can I just make an observation? You, you define who he is more from your perspective by what you do than what you say. You know, you've heard the old adage, actions speak louder than words. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, in this case, that's so true. So who do men say that I am? They replied, some John the Baptist, others Elijah. That's not, that's not bad comparatives, is it? Still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Wow, that's a good set of company to be in. We all could be pleased. We could puff our chest out. We could pat ourselves on the back. Wow, man, am I in that elite company? But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Again, that personalized question. Simon Peter, hmm. often the spokesman of the group. Sometimes welcomed and most of the time unwelcomed. But Peter had something to say. You are the Christ. You're the son of living God. You are the anointed one is what Peter was saying. You are the son. Get it here. See, son of the living God. He had to establish the reality of the incarnation for this to have any credibility. That has to be the priority. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church. This rock being the revelation that he just exposed what he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that rock... Jesus declares, promises, prophesies, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. A favorite text for many of us, I'm sure. Uh, it's an interesting scene and setting in the life and ministry of Christ and his followers. The geographical location as defined is Caesarea of Philippi. It's one of the most intriguing locations in all of um, that time span, the life of Christ, the northern sector of the nation of Israel, and one of the most idolatrous locations in all of the land. It was kind of the head of the worship of many false idols. You would go there and you'd be given opportunity to uh, pay allegiance, give just dues, surrender to a variety of specific gods, one that you felt uh, catered toward or a group making sure you cover all your bases. It was an evil place. It was a dark place. And it was at that place Jesus took his disciples intentionally and in the face of all of this idolatrous worship, just go there. Um, if you've ever been to Israel, um, you remember the scene. It's, it's a rocky area and there's a, a mountain face and there were edifices or temples that were dedicated to a variety of gods and there was all type of religious activity taking place by false priests and religious leaders, even the sacrificing of infants and humans to appease the evils of people and the demands of evil gods. So this is an incredible scene. Maybe one of these days we can go to Israel together and check it out. How about it? Yeah. Having been to Israel a number of times and loving to take people for the first time to really see the land, this is my favorite place in all of the nation. And I love Golgotha. I love the tomb. Don't get me wrong. I love walking the old streets of Jerusalem. I love uh, the shepherd's field. I love seeing the Jericho where the walls were. Uh, I love seeing the Dead Sea and getting baptized in the Jordan. You get the picture, right? Am I enticing you? We'll go. We'll get up an Eagle's Nest tour group and take off. But not just for the setting of this message this morning on my time here, but in, in honesty, my wife could tell you, I say it all the time, this is my favorite location because of what took place there and what was revealed and what Jesus was accomplishing. So in this idolatrous, this chaos of ill worship, trying to appease God. Jesus looks at his father and says, who do you say I am? Do, do I rank with any of this? Am I, do I match any of these false gods? Am I anywhere near? Is there a connection, relationship? Just what's going on here? And Peter receiving revelation says, ah, uh, you are the anointed one. <laughs> you are the Son of God. You are the true one. And out of that divine revelation spoken through the lips of humanity, Jesus declares, 
That's the foundation that I'm going to build on. That's how I'm going to build my church. That's how I'm going to build my church. You and I get to be a part of that. I'm, I'm glad to announce today that Jesus is building His church. I'm not going to get into a fiery Pentecostal message on the gates of hell, which was a significant part of that setting. There was a, a flame that never went out in that one of those temples. And it was a deep hole. It was darkness. And that's where they would throw these infants as human sacrifices into this pit of fire and non-satisfying death. And it was right there. Jesus said, yeah, I'm doing something different than all of this. And all of this can't stand against what I'm going to do. This, there's no competition here. They have no way of opposing or stopping or hindering the advancement of the church. Hallelujah. So, in all reality, let's just shake it all off today. The fact of the matter is we're here today in direct relationship with the church. The common denominator of all of us is the church. That's our connection. Through Christ, through the blood, through our salvation, we now are all privileged to be a part of the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus. We used that Greek term earlier, the ecclesia, which was, that's not a religious term, it's not even a spiritual term, it's a, it's a legal term, it's a legislative term. It's an amazing understanding when you really, uh, when they translated scripture, some of the, the, the political leaders that were in charge of translation didn't like the word ecclesia, so they wouldn't accept that. They say, let's, get a little, let's dumb it down some, let's use church. Ecclesia gives the people too much authority. Because it's a decision-making group. <laughs> and it's not a political group. We don't establish the laws of the land. But we get to govern between heaven and earth. <laughs> we get to bind here and release there. And release there and bind here. We get to do kingdom business as the people of God. Oh my goodness. That's a whole other subject we don't have time to dive into today. What I want to establish is today we're all about the church, not this building, but the purpose of the building, a place for the assembly of God's people to join, and what God is wanting to do here at Eagle's Nest from this point forward. And God has brought to you a divinely arranged leadership, spiritual covering, ministers, pastors, that are being yoked together through multiple layers of determination, prayer, satisfaction, vetting, approval, all that you want to make sure is done for the purposes of God. And I'm thrilled today we get to officially make this God's intent as we mark and approve God's plan for this church together. Is that exciting to you? I can tell you it's exciting to me. So, two things we're going to do, then I'm going to share a little bit about the church. Um, privilege today to ordain 
Pastor Scott Carroll into the ministry of the International Pentecostal Holiness Church. So he's coming to us, and uh, we have accepted in full regard. He's met all the demands of requirement and credibility and satisfaction. Uh, he's been in ministry, as most of you, I'm sure, have discovered for many years, but now he's yoking with our organization, our church, the International Pentecostal Holiness Church, and we are thrilled at this relationship. I can't be more thankful, and you've honored us uh, as a ministry couple to say this is what we feel like the Lord is doing in our lives. This is the direction uh, we want to go. And then as a part of that, we're going to install him, them, as the official pastors of this ministry. So we're going to kind of yoke that together. Is that all right? Um, Based on our structure, uh, credentials are mandatory within the organization. So the ordination installation, we're going to allow them to run on some of the tracks here today. So I'm going to ask you all to come to stand here with me. And uh, I want uh, this church to participate in this. This is not normal. Just come stand right here. This is not normal. Just face me for a few minutes. This is not really normal. Typically, this would be done at a larger conference setting. And we'd have multiple credentialed individuals that would be ordained or licensed or whatever the case may be. But because of the uniqueness of this and the timing of this, I just think it's a, a hoot that this church gets to actually do this as a family. I just, I, that just makes me happy um, because, again, that's not really the, the normal steps, but y'all get to all get to say, man, I was there. Yeah. Mark this day. What did, when is the day? December who? 13th. Everybody in agreement on that? You need to pull a phone and make sure? You <laughs> Catch up with us, sister. December the 13th. Time is not stopping. So mark this day, December the 13th. I think this is one of those days where we might need to go outside and collect some rocks. You remember how they did in Old Testament days, particularly uh, Abraham and some of the other patriarchs and the children of Israel as they journeyed? They would collect rocks and they would uh, use them as a memory point, as a demarcation, as an evidence that this was a significant time in the history of our journey. I think a pile of rocks wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, you get my point. I want us all to realize this is a very, very special day. So, the act of ordination, uh, pastors, as you're familiar with, is a it's an indication of approval. Whether you go through Scripture as the context church history, or present-day organizational, denominational, ministry-based assignment. Ordination says you have been approved. That speaks volumes. Um, You have stood the test, uh, proved the worth, and now you are being given responsibility and privilege to accept a 
new level of holy orders. Yeah. If you want to boil down ordination, it simply means the receiving of, the giving of holy orders. This is a this is a service. This is a physical effort to demonstrate a very spiritual transition or transaction. I can give you documents and I can lay my hands on you and we're going to pray and agree, but this is between you and God, right? That's really where this is all at. This is the highest level of credentials that the International Pentecostal Owners Church offers. We don't give any higher recognition or validation of ministry. Our presiding bishop, Doug Beecham, his level of credential is ordination. I say that primarily to tell you that's, that's the level of approval that you have satisfied within the framework of our church. That's the confidence that's being placed in you by your covering. And it also bears with it a high level of expectation. And I'm sure you understand that even more so than I probably could define here today. We're expecting you to be faithful to God. We're expecting you to be a man of the word and a couple that's bent in prayer. We're expecting you as the model of Jesus, the anointed one, to operate in a spirit of submission. Submission to the authority of heaven, the demands of the king, the will of the father. We're expecting you to be obedient. I would pray that your testimony would be the same as that of the Lord Jesus Christ when he concluded his ministerial life by offering that John 17 prayer. He said... To the Father, I'm glad that I can report to you I've done everything you've asked me to do. Now I'm going to look beyond the pastoral couple and I'm going to try to visit everybody in the room. Could you make it your goal in life to mimic the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as he was about to conclude his earthly journey and he said to the Father, listen, I've done everything you asked me to do. I've done everything you asked me to do. What father would not rejoice that being the testimony of their son or daughter? Oh my goodness, I've done everything you asked me to do. That's the expectation that we place. Submission. Obedience. And the model of leadership that we validate and promote and expect in the ranks of our ministry circles is one of servant leadership. We believe in the towel and the basin as the primary way to advance the kingdom of God by being a responsible party. Um, I want you to be great and do great things for the kingdom. And I know the only way that's going to happen here at Eagle's Nest or at any place of assignment is you've got to lead from your knees. Yeah. Can I just be transparent? I'm, I'm, I'm sickened, often spiritually nauseated at the hierarchical 
self-righteous approach that ministry has taken in our nation. It's, it's wrong. It's ugly. It's selfish. It's fleshly. It's unhealthy. So, to be great in the kingdom, you've got to serve, right? Yeah. And I believe that's your heart. And that's one of the reasons I was attracted. I think our spirits are attracted to each other. Is that common determination to walk in humility and serve God and by serving people to serve God most effectively. And I appreciate that in you. And I call that out of you in an increased way. I'm going to charge you to lead and be a good leader. But always lead from your knees. Hallelujah. Always be found with a towel in your hand and hands that are wet from washing the feet of those that you're obligated toward. In this act of ordination, what I felt most impressed to highlight today was the task, the assignment. That's, that's how the Apostle Paul received his ministry mandate. I was entrusted with a task to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He shares that with the church at Galatia. Uh, he embraces the elders of Ephesus. He communicates to his fellow apostles. And he's constantly doing it from the perspective or platform that I was given a divine assignment. It has specificity to it. It was detailed. It was an obligation of heaven. It was the will of God. I was arrested I was arrested by the assignment to the point to where he would say, I cannot refuse obedience to it even if it costs me my life. As the elders of Ephesus wrapped their arms around probably his legs as he was moving toward Jerusalem, they would tell him, please do not do this. We know you're in. We know what's going to happen. And I should have said Rome, but nonetheless, he said, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go. I have a task and I gotta satisfy the task. I say that with emphasis to motivate and to remind. I believe with every fiber in my spiritual inner man that God has plucked you out of your previous residence from a most unique arranged meeting in Angie, Louisiana that only God could have sovereignly arranged and that you've been brought to Mays, Kansas. under a divine assignment. I want those words to fall on very sensitive, receptive ears. 
I promise this congregation, and I believe with total sincerity I can say this before the God of heaven, knowing he's hearing nonetheless, that you're stepping into. I want this body to hear. There is a divine assignment. This is not just taking on the role of a pastor of a church. This is not just, okay, I'm given a pulpit to preach from, and a church to lead, and a ministry position to fulfill. This is a task ordained of God. Let's be faithful to it. Let's give it every opportunity to accomplish everything God has in mind. We know His intent is redemptive. So on behalf of the International Pentecostal Homeless Church, on behalf of our presiding bishop, on behalf of Accident Ministries, of which this church is a part of, all of those identifiable measures with great joy and gratitude. I'm honored to receive you and accept you as a gift from God to our church. According to Ephesians chapter 4, sir, that's what you are. You are a gift of God to us and to this body. And I charge this congregation to treat this ministry gift accordingly. And that as we install you as pastors, the only way to really do that most effectively is from the role of shepherd and sheep. And we all understand the uniqueness of that scripturally. There's no more, more profound parallel than the shepherd and his role in caring for the flock. Jesus modeled that with such eloquence and beauty. He taught from its parable the importance of that shepherd being willing to lay down their life for the flock. Um, The most poetic of language in Scripture, one of uh, many people's most favorite location biblically, Starts out with, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yeah. So I just want to draw three things. It's taking on the duties of the shepherd of the flock. Three things I'm going to request. Can I, as a brother and hopefully a spiritual leader and servant leader for you, can I expect... I want you to lead well. Lead well. I want you to be like unto the Apostle Paul. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Yeah. You won't take us astray if you do that. Lead by green pastures, still waters. Do what's necessary to keep the flock on the journey that God has destined And make sure the flock grows. Make sure the flock increases. Not only do I want you to lead well, I want you to feed well. Every good shepherd makes sure the flock is taken to places of vegetation for their physical well-being. 
I don't want you to raise a bunch of babies around here. I want you to teach them how to feed themselves. Yeah. Get them off the milk as quick as you can. Get them on the meat. But feed them the bread of heaven. Yeah. I hear you're a good preacher. One of these days I'm going to slip in and just listen myself. But Well, I understand. But I believe you to be a man that has a heart for the Word of God. And I'm going to pray that that appetite increases. And that out of your being a student of the Word, fresh revelation will break open. And that you'll feed the flock. So I want you to lead them. I want you to feed them. And then I want you to protect them. Every good shepherd protects his flock. To his own sacrifice. We're living in a day where the wolves are making every effort to devour the flock. And it's your protection, the rod, the staff, that will keep. You will have to be like unto a great shepherding model, the lad David, who would be willing to take on the lion and the bear. Yeah. The greatest attack against the flock today is deception, falsity, evil teaching, the word that's been tainted and polluted by man's opinions and false doctrines. That's why feeding well, giving a good, healthy diet consistently is imperative. Protect them from opposition within and protect him from opposition without. Give your life for the cause of the flock. Will you commit to that, sir? Yes, sir. Will you commit to being a good representative of the International Pentecostal Holiness Church as an ordained minister of the gospel within our ranks? Will you commit to being a pastoral couple that loves God, and loves one another, and loves your church, and loves the world? Will you lead them? That's nobody else's job but yours. You don't do it with arrogance. You don't do it with uh, piety. You don't do it with things that would taint and spoil it. But you lead. It's the duty. Sheep have to be led. They can't be driven. They have a tendency to want to go off on their own and meander around and do crazy stuff. That's what sheep do. And I have discovered sheep will bite too. So may you be protected from any attack of the sheep. But lead. But I want you to feed. We don't need a bunch of canned messages around here. We need fresh bread. And then protect, sir. Yeah. Hmm. Stand with me, please. Stand with me. Can I get the leadership team to come? I'll ask my wife to come. We're going to pray a prayer of ordination and also a prayer of... Uh, of um, assignment.
Hmm. Spirit of God. Spirit of God. Can we enter into a holy covenant here today? Huh? Can we enter into a holy covenant family? You going to do your part? You going to hold your end of the bargain? You're going to pray, you're going to serve, you're going to follow, you're going to participate, you're going to operate in your place, and you're going to be the strongest supporters and encouragers and providers that you can for the sake of the gospel of this church, the ministry, the place. Father, we thank you this morning. We're honored to be a part of your family. We celebrate brotherhood here today, the commonality we have in Christ. We are one in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Names written down, Lamb's Book of Life. On our way to heaven, God, you've done so much. You redeemed us, God. We can only but say hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and Lord, on this journey from earth to glory, Lord, as a part of our redemption package, you gift us and you anoint us and you call us and you assign us for the sake of your kingdom, the work you want to escalate and spread around the world that many might come to know you, God. And so we stand here today in Mays, Kansas, recognizing that this is a sovereign moment in the plan and purpose of God as, Lord, we look at this privately and personally, but also recognize it has far-reaching impact and implications. We thank you for our brother and sister. Thank you, Lord, for the carols and for the gift of God they are to us. Thank you, Lord, for ordering their steps and determining their paths and causing our ministries to intersect and bringing us the privilege to join together in faith and agreement to carry out the work of the ministry for Eagles Nest Church and for Mays and Wichita and across this region and Lord wherever the influence of this ministry will take us God help us to be faithful to this garden to this assignment to this task and we with the Apostle Paul realize that we have been entrusted we have been entrusted with a God given duty oh my goodness we realize we can only do that through your help through your anointing so God I take great joy today and Lord is your servant Lord I'm thrilled that I get the privilege of receiving them into the fellowship of our church our greater global body thank you Lord for assigning them as a part of the IPHC, and that we get to be yoke fellows together. (laughs) Oh, God, we accept them. We bless them. We open our doors wide open to them to fulfill their divine ministry assignment. Lord, we thank you for how you have brought them to this place. And Lord, we know without a doubt you have supernaturally established them to serve as pastors of this local church. I thank you for that. Lord, representing this church body as I stand here with leadership and this family, we say thank you, Jesus. 
evidently and obviously they have the gifts and the anointings, the skills and the call and the capacity to step into this role with your partnership <laughs> to do whatever it is you have determined this ministry to accomplish. We give you praise for it, Lord. God, I'm calling in a harvest. I'm praying, Lord, that out of their ministry and out of this church, many will come to know Jesus. I'm calling in laborers, 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 laborers for the fields that are ripe under harvest. God, multiplication and increase. I'm calling for transformation by the power of the gospel. I'm calling the kingdom of God to invade Mays, Kansas like never before, Lord. We make ourselves available. God, here we are. We raise our hand with Isaiah and say, God, use us. Send us. Thank you for anointing and, Lord, the ability. God, I pray that you'll continue the good work in them which you have begun and Conform all of us into your likeness and perform through us what you have determined. We'll give you praise for it. Thank you, Lord, for grace and anointing for the assignment. <laughs> oh, God, you are our sufficiency. No, Lord, we bless you. We bless you. So, Lord, we ordain into the gospel ministry as the pastors of this local house. To the glory of God, declaring your kingdom come, your will be done. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. I pray wisdom and revelation. The eyes of their hearts be enlightened and they walk in the power that is accessible through them. As referenced earlier in our time this morning, the same power that raised you, Lord Jesus, from the dead, Holy Ghost of heaven, consume, consume, work and flow through them. For the greater good, the cause of the gospel. In the powerful, mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. The body of Christ, the church, everybody says? Amen. Amen. Can we give God praise? Hallelujah. So, sir, I'm honored to present to you a certificate of ordination and to our movement. You have a uh, personal card there that you can use, but uh, I am thrilled on behalf of our bishop, our executive leadership, Acts Today Ministries. Thank you, sir. You make my heart happy that I get to welcome you into our church Hallelujah. body and into the ranks of our church ordained ministers. We receive you in the name of the Lord. And then to officialize. We have our certificate of installation. Pastor Scott and Alicia Carroll taking on the role of being shepherds of the flock. And we'll receive you accordingly. Amen. Yes, sir. That's the assignment. Thank you. I want you to be faithful to it. 
Amen. Babe, would you hand me those three books right there? It's almost Christmas. So the spirit of giving just came all over me. <laughs> you know, I want to be, I want to be, <laughs> deeper dive. I want to be a wise man. So the wise men gave gifts. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. So, a little gift for you. And uh, this is the lesser of, but uh, I'm just trying to get rid of them. It's written by a unique author. <laughs> but I think this will be a blessing to you. And then before I conclude my observations, once I get you seated here, I'm putting it in the hands of a premier text that we are using across IPHC uh, called Transforming Your Church into a House of Prayer. I want this to become uh, your textbook and I'm looking forward to this church becoming a living example of what that talks about. Can you give God praise? Can you welcome your pastors? Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I just got just another thing or two, and then I'm done. I want to talk to you briefly about the church. And I want you to hear some very genuinely provided observations. I'm asking Holy Spirit to teach all of us, all of the body of Christ, to better understand the church. We have, we've tamed the church, we've domesticized the church, we've allowed the church to become something that was never intended. The church was never intended to be an event. Christianity was never intended to be a Sunday activity. Um, But we fell into some rather unhealthy, unfortunate ways centuries ago, and we haven't been able to crawl out of it yet in regards to what the church really is all about. Let me tell you how important the church is. You can determine the value of something based on the price you're willing to pay for it. That's how you determine the value of any entity you're referencing. If we had a product up here, or let's say these beautiful poinsettias, and I started bidding, and we began to wager. You might value these poinsettias at a higher price than I, or I might outbid you because I value them more than you. Maybe not just the poinsettia, but the intent of the monies that is being raised. We're going to raise these monies, sell these poinsettias to feed a hungry family. Well, I'll give you $10 for a poinsettia. You'll give me 20 right? Yeah. I'll raise you 25 and you'll go 50 Why? Not because this poinsettia is that valuable, because meeting the need of a hungry family is. You see the point? So the value of something is what you're willing to pay for it. So let me tell you how valuable the church is. The Bible says in the book of Acts that Jesus 
purchased the church. It was a transaction by his blood. So you want to know how valuable the church is? Yeah, you, you better believe it. That's how valuable heaven. That was not only the gift of Christ and His blood, but that was the sacrifice of the Father. That was the Godhead engaged in showing, proving, demonstrating to us how valuable the church is. Please don't make that carpet and pews and chairs and instruments and buildings and events and activities. Please, let's do not denigrate, insult this valued purchase into something that's just tangible and and, an activity. This cost Jesus his life. Now let me help you understand that there is a church today because God has a mission. Think, take a moment. Think about that. That that's, has depth to it. There is a church, there's a purchase, there's a sacrifice, there's a giving of life by the Son of God because God has a mission. It's not the other way around. We think there's a, that, that there is some great determination that the church gets to choose. No, that was already chosen by God and He brought the church into existence to accomplish it. You see, the church did not exist prior to its inception and what we call Acts 2, the birth of the church. That's when this whole thing started as we know the church. This was, this was not the way it operated a function. The, the people of Israel was a foreshadow. Jesus became the head, the chief cornerstone, the, the builder of. And the reason God said, I need the church, is because I have a mission. My mission is that the world come to know salvation. So I'm going to raise up the church, my people, the assembly, the blood bought for the sake of. And they gathered there in that upper room and they were empowered by the Spirit to fulfill the purpose of the church. So I say to you today, don't ever undervalue or estimate the church, its reason, the why. And then let's keep it pure and clean. Let's don't pollute it. Let's don't corrupt it. Let's don't weaken it. It's still for the sake of mission. You have been redeemed. You're part of the church. You are the church for the sake of mission. God so loved the world. People need Jesus. The church is defined as a a body, all various kinds of members. The church is defined as a building, living stones fitly put together. The church is defined as an army. Warring, soldiering, being faithful to the task. The church is defined as a bride. (laughs) I never liked when I was growing up being called a sissy. I'd always go to to ranks with that. But boy, do I delight in being called a bride. 
bride of Christ. Chosen. Selected. Apple of his eye. The preferred one. Yeah. Being properly prepared without spot or wrinkle. Yeah. We're going to a wedding. We're all going to a wedding. Some of us graying ones thought we'd had our last one. No, there's another one coming. Oh, yeah. Now I could close with this and I highlight giving of the book. And all of that, I want to remind us and exhort us today to live up to our name. I like Eagle's Nest. I don't know who originated that name. I'm sure it has a history to it, but it's a, it's a nice name. Me and the dog participated in planning churches and naming churches. And One was Bethel Christian Fellowship. That was a neat name back in the, um, uh, in the 80s. Uh, then the last church we planned together was Crossroads. That was a more relative, hip name, you know. We'll, yeah. And, I, and I, I'm always intrigued by church names. I love to find out how they got their name. What was the story behind it? Did you know God named the church? He gave it a name. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but it wasn't Eagle's Nest. It wasn't Crossroads. It wasn't Bethel Christian Fellowship. My house shall be called. Yeah, God gave it a name. We don't get to determine even if we like the name. We just have an obligation to live up to our name. So if there's a mantle that I could place on this body today, it would be the responsibility and privilege that you live up to heaven's identification of who you are. And that is that you become a house of prayer for all nations. A house of prayer for all nations. That out of the hotbed of prayer and the works that would follow as a result that God could use this ministry to literally bring transformation to Mays, Kansas to Wichita the central region of our nation and actually impact the nations of the earth house of prayer for all nations let me vision cast briefly, and I'm extending time, but you need to hear. Within the last few months, God has quarantined. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. The global family of the International Pentecostal Owners Church, He has arrested us and brought us to an absolute startling recognition of our responsibility to be transformed as a global family, local congregations and individuals transformed in becoming houses of prayer for all nations. This will be how we fulfill heaven's assignment through the church in these last days. 
He called the church not to be a preaching church, not even to be a worshiping church. He called the church to be a praying church. Those others are essential ingredients, but they are not priority. I'm challenging as I have your pastoral leadership, and I think I know them to be people of prayer. That's how we met each other in a prayer meeting. That we be sensitive. What does that mean? What does that look like for us? What changes do we need to make to put true prayer back into its rightful place within the framework of God's intent on the earth? And a wonderful way of defining that is learning how to join in the prayer meeting that's taking place in heaven. We just join in the prayer meeting that's taking place there. Do you know there's a prayer meeting going on in heaven? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how can we on the earth connect with a prayer meeting there which brings immediate agreement? And we know what God can do with agreement, right? Class, Holy Spirit, that you give illumination, increased revelation, and direction to our pastors to lead us in a path of becoming a body that's faithful to who we are, who you have identified us to be. And God, you use this ministry in increasing ways that you blow our minds, that you move way beyond expectation, anticipation, exceedingly abundantly above what we could even ask or think. God, I'm looking forward to testimonies out of this house as to what you are doing supernaturally, miraculously, lives being changed, homes being renewed, marriages being saved, bodies being healed, families being redeemed. God, I am expecting something so incredible. And we receive it. We want to participate in it, and we thank in advance for it. Lord, I leave my precious family of faith here with the Importation of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. And I declare over them the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all to the glory of God. Thank you so much. We bless you in the Lord. You've given me a lot of time this morning, and I am more than honored. We welcome pastors. Love you in the Lord. Glad we get to labor together. Always at your disposal. So it would never be misunderstood, sir. This is my posture to you. This is my posture to this congregation. This is my heart for the people of God. So in the name of the Lord Jesus, let's labor together for the greater cause. Thank you. God bless you. It's been a joy to be with you. Amen. Give.